Welcome to another Flushing Transit Authority, Will. How's it going today? You can tell you it's going better than it was last time we met. <laughs> yeah, and that's not to say it's all perfect. This is Metsland, after all. Never, um, it's never a perfect day in Metsland. But before we get into that, we do have a correction to make. Uh, on the last episode, we said that death was hovering around the Mets franchise, and uh, we were mistaken. Uh, it's actually pestilence that has been lurking around City Field, felling players left and right. Uh, we'd like to apologize to Pestilence, to Death, and to all the horse persons of the apocalypse for our mistake. Um, okay, now that that's out of the way, let's get on to discussing the past couple of weeks. And while it's felt like doom and gloom and everything is going wrong, um, they've actually won a lot of games. Yes. The last time we met, um, I said rather forcefully, good teams do not lose 9 out of 10 games. However, bad teams don't win 8 out of 12 games, which is what the Mets have done since we last spoke. Yes, and uh, one of my favorite parts of the week this week was you sent me an email a couple of days ago with the question, are the Mets good again? And it's like, wow, it's amazing how, you know, the storylines and the narrative can be all about disaster, but the play on the field has actually been pretty good, and I would argue, and this is just... This is one of those weird things. Since Cespedes went down, the offense has gotten better. I keep thinking about, and this is a stretch, but stay with me here. When I think of the Mets over the last two weeks, I think of like the 99-2000 era New York Knicks. Mm -hmm. When Patrick Ewing, basically towards the end of his career, went down with a season-ending injury, and the Knicks went to the NBA Finals (laughs) in that strike-shortened season. Yes. It was as if Ewing was gone, their best player was no longer available, and the team came together, got some breaks, won some games. Now, there's a big difference between two weeks in the middle of May and going through the playoffs and into the finals, but something seems to have happened over the last two weeks, Mm -hmm. and let's just call it what it is. The Mets are playing good baseball. Good baseball. It's it's incredible to see, and, and... You know, there are a bunch of people that uh, have to be singled out, some maybe who we uh, we maybe don't want to, but we should go ahead and give a lot of credit to Jose Reyes, who seems to have figured out how to become a baseball player again. Jose Reyes, I, you know, I am the last person who is going to be called a big Jose Reyes fan, um, but give him credit, he has produced on the field. Um, we've seen just an amazing run from Michael Conforto oh, at the man. leadoff spot. Yeah. You know, I don't think leadoff is where Conforto winds up long-term, but he's the best leadoff option on the team right now because he's getting on base. Another just fantastic week from my favorite Met of all time, Jay Bruce. <laughs> Let's just go out and say, always been a big Jay Bruce fan. Please forget everything I said last year when thankfully we were not recording it. Bruce has been a really interesting case in the past in the past month, even really this whole season. And and you think you go back to there was that moment in spring training when the reporters were kind of like trying to get him to to admit that maybe New York was too much for him, and he got really annoyed. And and there seems to be this level of fire and this level of professionalism. And and it reminds me of this is one of the reasons that my favorite Met player was always Keith Hernandez. Um, was because if you asked him a stupid question, he would react like you asked him a stupid question. 
And I'm seeing a little bit of that from Jay Bruce, and it's really, really cool. I, I appreciate it. I've always felt like the media makes more of the struggles of playing in New York than players do. You know, the the mound is still 60 feet, 6 mm -hmm. inches in New York, just like it is in Cincinnati. The bases are still 90 feet apart. You've got some variance in the outfield, but it's the same game in Cincinnati or in New York. We would be remiss if we did not also call out uh, another Met who has had a great two weeks. Um, hopefully that will last. TJ Rivera, great job. Um, I can tell you, when they moved Jay Bruce out from playing first, I was a fan of of Bruce at first. I don't think Jay Bruce was a fan of playing first base <laughs> because he was quoted as saying something along the lines of, um, hope I don't have to do that for a long time. Mm -hmm. But TJ Rivera has filled in um, adequately at first base. He's clearly not comfortable with the position, um, but his play at first hasn't cost the team any games. And more importantly, he's hitting. And I think TJ Rivera fills a very important role on the team of that feel-good narrative of that local boy done good. I was a big fan of the World Baseball Classic this year. Me too. And I watched Rivera play in the World Baseball Classic, and I, you know he had a couple of at-bats last season. I want to see him do well. I want to see him succeed. But long-term, I don't see where he fits into this team. Yeah, that's a shame because, I mean, one of the great things about having Rivera in the lineup, and this is we've talked about this in the past, is that the Mets have been so home run happy and home run centric. And if they don't hit home runs, they don't win. But with Cespedes out of the lineup and with Duda out of the lineup replaced with resurgent Jose Reyes and TJ Rivera, who just hit singles and doubles all day, we finally now have something more than station to station baseball, something more than just hitting home, waiting for someone to hit home runs. And, you know, this is a team that could not string together five consecutive hits earlier in the year. And they've done that a few times in the past uh, couple of weeks. And that's really exciting. And just having somebody who can reliably hit singles and doubles reminds me somewhat, um, he's, not, he's not in this league, but he reminds me somewhat of a player like Edgardo Alfonso, who just hit the ball. Edgardo Alfonso, John Olerud, you know, Olerud had more power, yeah. had more gap power. But when you see T.J. Rivera leading off an inning, you feel like, oh, we can get a runner on base here. Yes. The last couple of weeks, seeing the Mets playing some close games, um, seeing the bullpen really have to work hard to keep them in games, the idea of seeing somebody get on base and being able to move a runner around and get a run in um, has been refreshing. Look, and I, I love home runs. Home runs are great. <laughs> um, I... The ideal outcome of any at-bat is a home run. But if you're not going to get that, and you're not going to all the time, it is good to know that there's some players who could make contact and make something happen. So, I mean, this brings up a question that, you know, maybe we, we don't want to have to deal with, but we're going to have to at some point, which is, are the Mets better off without Lucas Duda? Like, Lucas is a, he's a good player, but not only is he always hurt, but he is that prototypical slugger who hits home runs, but not much else. Right. Now, the other thing about Duda is Duda walks a lot. Yeah. Duda has, um, you know, we talk about getting on base. Um, Duda's on base percentage has historically been solid. Mm. You know, this is two weeks. I don't want to make too much of it. If I had my, you know, ideal lineup, Lucas Duda is, um, is 
your first baseman, probably batting fourth behind Ioannis um, Cespedes, who mm-hmm. in my ideal world is also healthy. Um, yes. You know, ideally, having a lineup of Cespedes, Duda, and Bruce, and you could flip Duda and Bruce, I don't care what order they're in, that is a formidable middle of the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's a better lineup than one with T.J. Rivera in it. I think T.J. Rivera's long-term best value to the team is as possible trade bait for some bullpen for some bullpen help. Um, T.J. Rivera is a guy who we know can hit, um, but has a limited upside. Mm-hmm. T.J. Rivera is already 28 years old. This is T.J. Rivera's peak. <laughs> T.J. Rivera's peak is um, he's going to hit. 300, but it's going to be a light 300. His slugging percentage is not going to be gigantic, but he's going to get on base. He can play a number of positions um, at an average major league level. He is a valuable commodity when it comes to adding some bullpen arms over the summer. I'm going to make a prediction, and we'll come back later, uh, later in the season to see whether or not this is right or not. I'm going to say that Lucas Dude is not on the team by the end of the season. Okay. Let's write that, that down. Um, nothing against Lucas. Lucas is wonderful. We follow him. We we follow people right. who follow Lucas Duda. Um, it just feels like he's the wrong player at the wrong position at the wrong time. And especially because it looks like if not by the beginning of next season, then certainly by the middle of next season, Dom Smith uh, might be ready to come up and take over first base. And if the Mets have trade needs later in the season, Duda is someone they can deal and get some value back for and bridge the way between now and Dom Smith with T.J. Rivera, Jay Bruce, even Wilmer, Wilmer Flores a little bit. Interesting. Let's call that a Flushing Transit Authority exclusive. <laughs> Lucas Duda will not finish the season on the New York Mets. But that's a long way away. We're going to have Duda back today, and it looks like we're going to have um, Cespedes back in the next couple of weeks. So we're sort of going to be back where we were at the beginning of the season with too many players not in a positions. Uh, what are they going to do? What do you think is going to happen? Well, I think that um, they're going to do what they always do, which is wait and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, the last time we were we met, we talked about you know, do the Mets have more players on the disabled list than other teams? And I talked about it last week about doing some research into this. And statistics for last for this year are not available yet. Um, because obviously it's we're only, you know, 35 games into the year. But if you look at, I was looking at 2013 through 2016. And... When you look at the number of players the Mets have had on the disabled list, it's not significantly more than other teams. Um, I think they are clearly middle of the pack in terms of of injured players. So what that means is somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to end up on the DL. Um, It's just a numbers game. It's just a matter of, of where is it. Now, there are certain positions where we can afford it. We can afford seeing an outfielder go on the 10 day DL. Um, we can afford seeing Lucas do to go on the DL. Um, I'm more concerned with what happens at second base, shortstop, and third. Those are all positions. You know, Neil Walker's man second base capably. Um, Cabrera, we know his mobility is very limited, mm-hmm. but he's played a solid shortstop. 
But basically, second, short, and third are the places where we cannot afford an injury. And again, that's where somebody like TJ Rivera, Wilmer Flores, are so valuable to the team because they can play all three of those positions. Yes, yeah. And, you know, we would be remiss in if we didn't uh, acknowledge that the uh, the walking wounded list has just been joined um, by Juris Familia, who seems to have a blood clot in his shoulder, which, and I think that's part of it, is that it seems like, and it's probably not true statistically, but it seems like the injuries that the Mets players come down with are strange and exotic and catastrophic and weird, like blood clots and shoulders, like thoracic output syndrome, like... Wilmer Flores Wil- getting a staph infection. Wilmer Flores had a staph infection. We, we talked about this last time, that like what the heck was happening with Wil- Wilmer Flores. Turns out he got a staph infection in his knee and had to be in the hospital for four days and they almost had to do surgery. And yes. that's, you know, that's no joke. Wilmer's least favorite Friends episode... The one with the staph infection. <laughs> so no one told him life was going to be this way. While we're talking about, you mentioned Lucas Dude is coming back today. Somebody else is coming back today. And who's that? And you know who that is. Oh yeah. Now rejoining the team today is one Matt Harvey. Now Jay, I should back up here because I was in Las Vegas this last weekend. Okay. And I woke up at an average time on Sunday morning in Vegas, as we've said before. I love living on the West Coast. Sunday games start at 10 a.m. So I woke up at 9 a.m. Vegas time, ready to head down to the sports book to watch the Mets and Marlins, maybe place a wager on the game, Mm -hmm. have a grand old time of it. And in the end, I ended up skipping the game and going straight to breakfast because I woke up to see that Matt Harvey had been mysteriously suspended. Mm -hmm. Now, there's no way to talk about this suspension without talking about Something that happened a few days earlier. Now, that this this is a safe-for-work podcast, <laughs> so I don't quite know how to bring this up other than to just bring it up. Um, when they posted a player-of-the-game photo of one Mr. T.J. Rivera um, last Thursday, I Thursday. want to say. Yeah. Uh, last Thursday, there was um, a sex toy in the background of the photo. And it was very funny, and Mets Twitter, myself included, had a grand old time talking about this uh, toy that was in Kevin Ploiecki's locker. Hashtag rally dildo. Yes. Which led to two things happening on Sunday. One is, I wake up, see Matt Harvey is suspended. Two, just looking through the papers, look at the New York Post where there's a headline, um, Mets in shock says... Hey, that's not my dildo. Which is one of the all-time great New York Post headlines, followed then by the comment, Harvey suspension not related to dildo. Thank goodness for that. Ah, uh, it's nothing like being a Mets fan. So, um, I'm sitting in Vegas, it's 9 in the morning, I uh, explained to my wife, who is friend of the podcast, Hey, we're going to skip the game and let's just go to breakfast. I'll explain it all over coffee. Let's just say, Matt Harvey's not pitching today. It has nothing to do with dildos. (laughs) Don't ask any questions. (laughs) So, as news came out, it became apparent that the Mets suspended Matt Harvey because he was a no-show on Saturday. 
um, it turns out that Matt Harvey on Friday night was out um, having some drinks with his friends. Apparently did not get in until very late. Um, got up to play golf on Saturday morning. And then apparently contacted the team, or at least he believes he contacted the team, who said that he had a migraine and would not be coming to the park. The team felt that there was not enough communication. Um, eventually, they sent team representatives to Matt Harvey's home to check on him, uh, where he answered the door in his pajamas at about 10 p.m. Now, I had a very specific memory when I found out that Matt Harvey did not show up for the game on Saturday. And that was the, the memory of Doc Gooden missing the 86 yep. championship parade. I thought the same exact thing. Players missing games is a big deal. As my wife and I were having breakfast in Vegas on Sunday, and I was sort of, unfortunately for her family, scanning through the news and talking about the Mets when I should have been discussing, you know, how much money we were winning or losing <laughs> and how good the, uh, the shrimp cocktail at breakfast was. Instead of doing all of that, I was looking at Mets news because I was genuinely concerned about Matt Harvey. And I turned to my wife and said, um, write this down because I think this story ends with Matt Harvey possibly going into a rehab facility. I do not know that Matt Harvey has any issue. It was just the the thing that came to mind. When you're missing work, um, that's a problem. Now, obviously, you know, as much as we like to complain and make fun of the way the media covers the Mets, um, they have a responsibility to report facts, to not speculate. We are under no such onus. Um, we're a couple of dudes who do a podcast, so we can speculate until the cows come home. And we will. And we will. Um, and the thing that I found really, really fascinating was if you listen to uh, the press conferences, there were two press conferences on Tuesday, uh, one that Matt Harvey gave and then one that uh, Terry Collins gave. And the reporters are asking them questions and it became really evident if you looked at the questions that they were asking. So the beat reporters, to do their job, they have to have relationships with the players, with the team. So they can't come out and ask questions that betray the fact that they're getting information from sources that maybe they shouldn't have. But we all know that they do. And we all know that everybody talks. So there was this really strange sort of kabuki theater aspect to these questions. And the thing that these press conferences screamed to me is that everyone knows that Matt Harvey has a drinking problem. And that the players on the team know that Matt Harvey has a drinking problem. And that perhaps, maybe, what we saw this weekend was Matt realizing he has a drinking problem. Now, it got up to the line, but didn't cross over the line into going to rehab. And like you say, maybe that's a future evolution of the story. Right. But once you say those words, once you say words like alcoholic and rehab, a very different narrative takes over. And that becomes stepping away from the team for a little bit. We saw this happen a couple of years ago with CC Sabathia. 
Um, and but perhaps there is room for Matt to discover that maybe he has let things go a little too far. The things that Terry kept saying about Matt needing to decide that baseball was the most important thing. Um, and of course, you know, certain aspects, certain people in the media leapt on that to sort of accuse Matt of all of these things. And the, the word that I always keep coming back to, which we've seen over and over and over again, mostly in the post, but in other places, they talk about Matt being out late Friday night and they use the word party. He was out late partying as if the only reason somebody might be out late drinking too much is partying, that there are not other reasons that somebody might do that. And I keep wondering, and again, we are free to speculate till we're blue in the face. I keep wondering how much the thoracic outlet surgery got to him because they said there's a chance he comes back and he's the same guy. There's a chance he never is able to pitch again. And you think about what somebody whose entire world, psyche, self-image is built on being a professional baseball player being told, we don't know, you may get out there and you may just not have it anymore. Um, if you already have a tendency to self-medicate, could that possibly push you over the line? Now, we as fans and we as you know followers of the team are not interested in that. We just want our people to show up and do the job that they're being very, very well paid to do. And to a certain extent, yeah, that's that's right. But man, if if everything I'm seeing this week is not screaming about somebody who is in a really precarious position, and we as a franchise like to uh, wring our hands and talk about why did things go so bad for Doc and Daryl, and what could have been done differently, that's where we are right now yes. with Matt Harvey. And I think having the history of the previous players, you know, living through the Gooden and Strawberry um, mistakes the organization made, and I think mistakes that the media made and expectations that fans made, um, expectations that fans had that when they get back on the field, everything is going to be okay. Yeah. Um, if I may get personal here. May I get personal? You may get personal. Normally, normally I don't do that. I kid because I get personal all the time. Look, I do not know if Matt Harvey has a drinking problem. Um, it is not my place to say if Matt Harvey has a drinking problem. I can tell you this. I do not drink. Um, I used to, and I don't any longer. Because I reached a point where I felt I wasn't my best self. And I wasn't able to be the person I wanted to be and also drink. Because for me... When I did, I liked to keep the party going. So I would be fine most of the time. And every now and then, we'd go out for a drink, and next thing you know, it's 4 o'clock in the morning, and I've got to get to work the next day. Now, not to pat myself on the back, I missed zero days of work. I was very good at pulling it together and getting to work. But I understand completely... How somebody like Matt Harvey, who is 28 years old, uh, I was a couple of years older than that when I came to the realization that I, these two things are getting in the way of me, this is getting in the way of me living a good life, so I'm going to make a change. But for me, when I see somebody missing their responsibilities, 
that's where the red flag gets raised. Because for me, the important thing about keeping the right face on and making sure nobody ever realized there was anything wrong was always showing up where I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So if we're angry at Matt Harvey, I'm just saying from my own experience, there's nobody madder at Matt Harvey right now than Matt Harvey. Absolutely. Now, I hope, as somebody who has been down this road, that all Matt Harvey has here, the only thing he's guilty of is being 28 years old and the night getting a little out of hand and having a bad hangover. I hope that is the case. I hope that this is a one and done and Matt is fine and physically and mentally he's able to get on the field. I hope he pitches a great game tonight. I want him to succeed. But even more than wanting him to succeed in the field, I want him to be healthy. Yes. I want him to to honestly and um, sort of aggressively deal with whatever is keeping him from being his best on the field, be it physical issues, mental issues, um, relationship issues, whatever it may be that's causing Matt Harvey from feeling like he can be the best Matt Harvey he can be, I hope he gets that worked out. Because from personal experience, I can tell you, once I cleared out the thing that I had been leaning on as a crutch, I felt a lot better about other things, and I look forward to whatever it is that is weighing Matt Harvey down. I look forward to him getting past that and moving forward as a person first and then as a player. I agree 100%. And Matt, if there's any way that you're uh, listening to this, uh, feel free to give Will a call. Yeah, I'll leave my number in the show notes. Feel free to give me a ring. Okay, so this is probably a, a, a good moment to take a break and hear from this episode's sponsor. Let's do that. Support for the Flushing Transit Authority comes from Addison's Reeds, Queen's first full-service woodwind shop. i got to tell you, Addison Reed, real renaissance man. Not only can he pitch, but he can wail on the sax. At Queen's first full-service woodwind shop, you can get saxophones, clarinets, oboes, even the rare double bassoons. All at Addison's Reeds. Addison's Reeds carries all the leading and hard-to-find specialty brands, and they've got new extended hours open until 9 every night. When you need to get the job done and your usual supplier is unavailable, you can count on Addison's Reeds. We're recording this on Friday morning. Uh, Matt Harvey is going to be taking the mound tonight in Milwaukee. Hopefully it is, uh, it is a positive, um, uh, we're expecting Lucas Duda back tonight. We're expecting Cespedes in the next couple of weeks. Wh- where do we think things are, are going to go now? What, what, what do you see ahead for the next couple of weeks? Well, as I look forward to Cespedes coming back and the job Conforto has done and the job Jay Bruce has done. It is clear to me that Curtis Granderson is the odd man out in the outfield. Unless he has the greatest week in like the history of organized baseball, I think you're right. Even if he does, when Cespedes is available to play, he's in the lineup. Ligaris becomes that late-inning defensive mm-hmm. replacement. Um, Ligaris, you do not need two outfielders to rest people. As with any team, things are going to happen. So what happens on May 12th is not necessarily what's going to happen on June 12th. But at the moment, 
Curtis Granderson is unfortunately the odd man out in the outfield. Um, we'll see how that plays out. A lot can happen between now and whenever Cespedes comes back, but I think you're I think you're right. Yes. Um, I think the other question now becomes with Familia seemingly out for a long time, do the Mets go out and get bullpen help? I think that's where um, having this flexibility on the roster gives them uh, a little bit of an edge in picking up some of those players. The question is, who do they go out and get? You know, nobody's in sell mode yet. Even teams that are playing poorly, it's still early. It's mid-May. In a couple more weeks, yeah, people I think will by start. June first, it starts yeah. getting late. Um, if the Mets can, if they can remain at 500 ball, stay within five, six games of Washington, they're in it. You know, they can swing a trade for some bullpen help. I think short term, um, you know, Addison Reed is going to be a you know a serviceable closer. He's done it before. Um, Let's give credit to the job Hansel Robles has done over the last couple of weeks. You know, Robles, you know, went from being the last man out of the bullpen mm-hmm. to being a serviceable arm. Um, you know, I don't like that he, he points to the sky at every 400-foot fly ball, but as long as it lands in somebody's glove. Um, I have to say, like, I'm really impressed at the job that Robles has done over the last couple of weeks. Um, equally impressed at Mets Twitter and Mets fandom for embracing Robles and um, acknowledging the fact that he's done a pretty nice job over the last couple of weeks. He's such a streaky, streaky guy, and he'll go on these, you know, these couple of weeks where he just can't get anybody out, and then he'll have a couple of weeks where he looks like a world beater, and it's just it's so up and down with him. Yeah. Um, but where I guess we're lucky we're on an upswing for now. Um, Enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, I was surprised to, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but uh, that they sent Josh Smoker down. Mm-hmm. Um, he was really effective early and then kind of hit a bad patch. And I guess when you don't have a track record and you have a bad patch and you have options, you get sent to Las Vegas. Yeah, I do worry about the rate at which the Mets are using their arms. Um, as of today, Jerry Blevins is on pace to pitch. I want to say, as of the last game the Mets played, at his current use rate, Jerry Blevins is on pace to, to appear in 98 games. Wow. That's uh, that's more than Pedro Feliciano, yeah. the perpetual Pedro, appeared in at his peak. Yeah. That's yeah, a lot of games. And that, you know, that brings up an idea that I've heard floated uh, a couple of times or a couple of places the past uh, couple of years. Um, and that's uh, the idea of changing the roster system so that you had what, in essence, was a, a taxi squad. So mm-hmm. that you would have a 30-man um, a roster, but for each game you had to designate 25 people who could play that game. That makes sense. That would allow you to swap in and swap out people in the bullpen and people in, in um, on the bench to avoid overusing people like that. What do you think of an idea like that? Well, I love the idea because it automatically means you take yesterday's starter and if your reliever went two innings and is out, you can put them basically on the unavailable list for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's great. Anything that gives teams more flexibility. Like, I loved, and I was at this game when it happened, when Terry Collins, because he was out of players, had to put in Zach Wheeler as a pinch hitter. Yeah. Now, Zach Wheeler blooped a double down the right field <laughs> line, so it was perfect, yes. just like you drew it up. But when you get into a game, and you're in the 11th inning, and you've got to put a pitcher up there to pinch hit, um, 
you've made a misjudgment in how you manage your roster. Now, being a realist, the reason that this is not going to happen is because of service time. Major League Baseball, the, the owners and the people who control these things, want to limit players' service time. Right. It's the reason we often see prospects who are ready to play they have to go down to the minors at the beginning of the, le- at the beginning of the season, and they don't come up until May because that's when the service right. time kicks in. And that actually, I think, is a good segue to the next question, which is there has been some rumblings about the idea of swapping uh, Reyes and Cabrera and having Cabrera play third and Reyes play shortstop. And the sort of unspoken assumption there is that at some point Reyes will uh, finish this hot streak that he's been on, they can move him to the bench and then call up Ahmed Rosario and have him take over shortstop. Now, I'm all for that. I'm always, look, I'm a sucker for the next young kid. Mm -hmm. That sounds untoward, but you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yes. When it comes to the Mets, I'm always a fan of bringing up the kids. Yeah. It's funny, you look around the Mets infield and it's possible that that most of the people who are playing infield for them right now will not be the starters next year. Well, we've talked about Duda and the possibility that he may move. Mm-hmm. Neil Walker's under contract for this year only. Yep. Cabrera, the Mets have a team option mm-hmm. for 2018. and then. But if Rosario's ready, why would you bring him back unless you have him take third base for a season? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I do know that, you know, clubhouse matters and people love Cabrera. Yes. I love Cabrera. Yes. I, I I would pay good money to have him on the roster simply to be the helmet caddy for when people <laughs> hit home runs. We don't talk about how great a move that is. It, is, it, is, it really is. Um, you talk about uh, clubhouse matters and how it seems like as Drupal Cabrera and, and even this year, Jay Bruce have really become these guys that help keep the uh, the clubhouse glued together. Yeah. You know, I realized there has been so much so much Mets drama and Mets news and things to talk about. We've gone 45 minutes here. We've yet to talk about the fact that Noah Syndergaard is essentially out for the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That seems like it's so it long ago. It seems like it was... It seems like that happened last season. And yes. at this point, it's been two weeks. Yes. Um, you know, winning games certainly helps. But what does the Mets' rotation look like for the beginning, of, for the rest of the year? Well, I don't I don't know if he's out the whole year. He's certainly not coming back till after the All-Star break. I don't feel like we can count on him this year. I'm not at that point yet. I feel like he's going to come back at some point, And because this isn't it. Uh, a surgery that he's coming back right. from. Um, at least I'm hopeful that his return will be. Um, he will. He will return with thunder and lightning. That would be lovely. That would be good. Um, you know, I, I think about was it last year or the year before that Clayton Kershaw missed last a good year, uh, chunk of the season and then came back and he was just Clayton Kershaw again. Knock on every piece of wood you can find. Um, you know, Matt Harvey's a giant question mark. Um, Jacob Degrom, with the uh, with the exception of an odd kind of neck tweak, uh, is rock solid. Zach Wheeler seems to be finding it again, which is yes, great. That's really what we're hanging um, our hat on is the fact that um, Jacob Degrom has, in the absence of Syndergaard and Harvey, has stepped up as the um, as the, at least the temporary staff ace. Um, 
Zach Wheeler's looked very good. Um, Robert Selman held his own. Yeah, I don't know. Keeps you in the game. I don't know. It feels like, it, right, we talked about this last time, it feels like the league has the book on him and he has not been able to make the adjustments. And maybe that's just a process. Maybe he's just still working through that. We cannot get Seth Lugo and Steven Matz back quickly enough. Who would think that we would ever say, boy, Seth Lugo cannot oh. get here fast enough? Spin rate, man. It's all about spin rate. I'm, I'm a Seth Lugo fan. Uh, Steven Matz, he's from Long Island. I'm from Long Island. I am, by birthright, a fan of Steven Matz. Mm-hmm. I hope he comes back. Um, but do the Mets go out and pick up a starter? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, you can never have enough pitching. Um, that is a maxim that is continually proven true. Um, I, I don't think they can. I don't think they can do that until they know what they have with Mats and Luca. What if that option came very cheaply? Say for a player to be named later. Mm-hmm. Say it was someone who was a former Met. Someone maybe um, a, a sizable former man. <laughs> You're so predictable. Man. I'm going to tell you, anytime you can bring Bartolo back, you bring Bartolo back. He's been having a lousy season. Though, he really he? has. That's why I'm thinking yeah. player to be named later. He's yeah. been getting lit up. I, I never trust those player to be named later deals because I remember what if it was at 91 or 92 when we got... Um, I forget who we got from Toronto and for a player to be named later. And then after the season, that player to be named later turned out to be Mookie Wilson. And I was like, no. That hurts forever. That hurts forever. Yeah. That hurts forever. I've been doing um, some some reading. You know, we'll have to... Matt Callen, who is a, a friend of ours and a, and a friend of baseball in general... Um, we should really have Matt on. We really should, at some but point. in his book "Yells for Ourselves," um, he talks about the move the Mets made in '99, where essentially they traded a player for nobody. Um, <laughs> you have to read Matt's book to really get the story. But essentially, in 1999, Steve Phillips traded a player for nobody, and nice. it is the it is the second most Steve Phillips move of all time. The first most Steve Phillips move of all time involves an intern who he should keep his hands off of. Oh, Steve Phillips. Oh, the 90s Mets. God. So, let's see. We got, let's try to predict what's going to happen over the next two weeks. So, I'm going to predict that they go two games over 500. To bring the team to 500 on the season. Currently, they are sitting at 16 and 17 yeah. on the morning of uh, Friday, uh, May 12th. Um, I'm, as always, one, let's count on two things. One, my predictions are always super optimistic and almost always wrong. <laughs> so but at I'm, least you know that. I We know that, yes. <laughs> let's see. I'm going to guess that over the next 12 games, because they do have the two Thursdays off, over the next 12 games... Um, I think they win another eight of those 12 games. I think we find ourselves in the thick of the race um, come June 1st. I I am hoping that by June 1st they can chip away so that they are only three back from the yes. Nationals. I mean, and the other thing to, to keep in mind is that the Nationals have been playing incredible baseball so far. We have to hope they regress to the mean. Well, despite um, the fact that the Nationals' bullpen has been... 
disgusting. <laughs> like, has been awful. Yeah. Like, the league is hitting well over 300 against the Nationals' bullpen. Um, your batting average on balls in play is a super unlucky, like, close to 400. Um, that can't sustain. But the fact that the Nationals' bullpen has been a grease fire and they still have a six-game lead on the Mets either means they are way better than anybody thought or the Mets have really lost an opportunity here. Okay, so the other prediction we should talk about is what crazy uh, thing is going to happen in the next two weeks. It seems like something happens once a week or once every two weeks. Syndergaard's injury, Harvey's Michigas, you know, what's going to be the next thing? What's going to happen in the next two weeks that's going to take over the headlines? Hmm, what is it going to be? I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that um, something's going to come to light in the next couple of weeks, that there will be a tape recording that will have the voices of James Comey and Rene Rivera. That's my prediction. So you think that Rene Rivera is implicated in the firing of FBI Director James Comey. I'm not saying that Rene Rivera had anything to do with it. I'm just saying that there will be a tape recording that will put those two gentlemen in the same place at the same time. I mean, we wonder how Rivera is so good at throwing runners out. Does he have surveillance? Does he have intel? Does he have, you know, you know, help with that? Mm. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I'm just asking the question. I do not know. I was going to go with Noah Syndergaard gets deep, deep into Game of Thrones cosplay. <laughs> to the point where he begins, while injured, not in uniform, showing up to the park dressed as Hodor. <laughs> I think that is where we're going to go in the next two weeks. I, I think that's a good bet. Noah like Syndergaard showing up to the game dressed as Hodor. All right. Well, we'll be back in a couple of weeks, and we'll see if uh, any of these predictions come true. Or if indeed, you know, the Mets still have a team or if everyone on the everyone on the roster gets injured. Until then, two things you can do. One, you can rate and review Flushing Transit Authority on iTunes or the podcast machine of your choice. And also hold the door for the Mets. <laughs> hold the door for the Mets. Absolutely. Absolutely.